Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. We're so glad you've joined us today and you've chosen to worship along with us as we bring God's word. Well, almost two years ago, to the day actually, there was an international incident that made huge headlines. And we later find out it was harmless, but at the time it was actually quite terrifying. An employee of the Hawaiian Emergency Management Agency accidentally sent out a message that went out over the television, went out over radio, went across every person's cell phone that there was an incoming missile towards the island of Hawaii. That they should seek cover. And then the last thing it said was this, this is not a test. Well, with Hawaii being the most western, uh, most state, they're the closest in proximity to some of the U.S.'s enemies. It was a system that was set in place to give those residents a chance to take cover if anything were ever to happen. Well, after sending out the false message, the Hawaiian emergency team, they'd never prepared, what do we do if a false one goes out? How do we cancel it? It took 38 minutes. For them to figure out how to cancel that false alarm. Well, as you can imagine, chaos in the meantime ensued. Could you imagine what you would do? Imagine that you went on a vacation to Hawaii. Imagine you're on the ground for the first day. It's 8 a.m. local time. And all of a sudden, you get this text come across your cell phone that there's an incoming missile. Can you imagine what your response would be? I was reading some of the stories of what some of the people did during that time. In that 38 minutes, here's some of the things that happened. Well, first of all, traffic became chaotic. It was 8 a.m., traffic became chaotic. Most people scrambled trying to find shelter. They went to their basements. They went to areas where they felt they were secure. Some used that time to call loved ones or send texts to loved ones to basically say their final goodbyes. Can you imagine how heartbreaking those calls would have been. One guy did this. He sent a video to his family. He was out on the golf course when he got this message come across his phone. And in the video, it says this. If you get this message, I didn't make it. But I'm golfing. And I just parred the last hole. And I just hit a killer drive off this tee on this hole. So I love you all. But I'm going to keep golfing. It's the last thing I'm going to do. I mean, that's a man that is committed to his sport. But here's the question I have for you. What are the thoughts that go through your head in a moment like this? You don't know if you have seconds to live. You don't know if you have minutes to live. You don't know if it's a false alarm. You don't know if it's a hoax. You don't know if the missile is going to miss its mark. What goes through your mind? This is what I know. Anytime someone comes face to face with their own mortality, their priorities take a massive shift. What was once important before no longer is even a minor concern. What were things that we took for granted at one point all of a sudden become the most important things. For some, they will spend their entire lives trying to build their financial future with hard work. And as a result, they will accumulate all the things that society says makes them successful. They will get the big house, they'll get the cottage, the big, the big bank account, the boat. But in that moment, those things don't matter. What matters most in that moment is the relationships in which you have. I know for me, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind would be family. The first thing that I would be doing is looking to reach out to family. 
Then my extended family, my friends, my, my congregation. When you get a text like this, relationships are all that matters. Even the golfer. Even the golfer didn't, knew he, couldn't, he didn't have enough time to take cover. He made sure, the first thing he did is made sure his family knew how he felt about them. Then he went to look for his ball. Our relationships matter. The people that are in your life matter. In the same way, the people that you choose to include in your life matter as well. I used to say this to students all the time, and this, it actually applies to all ages. You become a mixture of the five people that you spend the most time with. The five people that you allow the most influence, you become a mixture of those five people. They influence you, you influence them. Your relationships matter. When you go back to the beginning of the Bible, God creates the world and then he creates humans, Adam and Eve. And when you read through the creation narrative, God has this, he has this rhythm of how he does things. He will create something and then he'll say it's good. He'll do something and then it's good. He creates the earth and says it's good. He creates light and says it's good. He creates the animals and say, he says it's good. He creates vegetation and trees and he says it's good. But at the end of creation, he creates man and he actually says it's not good. It's not good for him to be alone. Now, originally, this, this refers to the union of man and woman in, in marriage, but it's safe to say this principle extends further than that. That God understands that you and I were not meant to do this life alone. You were designed with a need for relationship. You need people around you. People that will build you up, people that will love you, people that will encourage you. If you are to become all God has planned for you, you need people in life that will pick you up at times, even carry you at other times. I was watching a video the other day of a marathon runner, and he was like, he was in first place. He's, he's probably trained for, for maybe months and years for this race. He's 50 yards from the finish line, and his legs just go to jello. He just starts to, they just basically give out. And he collapses to the ground and you can see the determination. He's trying to get up but his legs are just saying, nope, we're not doing this, we're done. And he, and he just, he, has, he had nothing more to give. And then as you watch, you can see the second place guy and he's approaching fast and it's excruciating. You're like, just get up. Suddenly the second place runner slows down and he picks up the man and he carries him to the finish line, so that he would still win the race that he trained so hard for. We need those people. We need those people in our lives. Marathon running is not a team sport. It's just you and the open road. Sure, you have coaches, you got people on the sideline that are cheering you on, but only you can run the race. Only you can push through the pain. Many of us treat life like that, though. Like, I can do this. I don't need people, any, anyone around me. I just need the open road and I just need myself. But for each of us, there will be times when our legs give out. There'll be times where we feel like we just can't go on any further. We need people in our corner that will pick us up. And even if it's just for 50 yards, we need them to carry us until we can walk on our own again. In Hebrews, well, the writer of Hebrews, first of all, the writer of Hebrews, we're not sure who it actually is. We're, it, a lot of people think, believe it's Paul, and it's quite, it, maybe it is. But Hebrews 10 says in verse 25, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And this is a passage that 
Oh, I've seen it quoted quite a lot lately because we're under lockdown and, and currently right now we're not able to meet physically in the building. And that's important. Trust me, it's important. We cannot neglect meeting together. Or your translation might say this, do not forsake meeting together. Now, forsake means to abandon, give up on, turn your back on. This is what you need to understand. The current church is not abandoned or turned their back on meeting together. The church has chosen in this moment to lay down its rights for others during a temporary health crisis. And we have found other ways to meet online. And I know it's, it's, it's difficult, but we're not supposed to run this race alone. We are not forsaking meeting together. We, we, we just can't keep we can't keep up that up long-term, not meeting. We need people in our lives. We need encouragement, accountability. We need healthy relationships to go beyond pleasantries. Gathering in relation with people is important. But for the time being, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you can't meet in the building, continue to meet. Make a phone call. Send a card. Send a text. Check in on people. We, we've all found ourselves in this last year in these valleys. We just, we just have. A simple phone call is all it might take for someone on, on any given day to lift them up when they need it the most. We all need people to have our back. The question is, who has got your back? We all need that person in our corner who will fight for us, pray for us, defend us, the, 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 they've just they've got they've got our back and we have theirs. There there are a lot of people out there that are lonely. And perhaps when I say that that when I say think of somebody who's lonely, maybe somebody comes to mind. Maybe instantly you start to think of some people that there's there's certain people. Maybe maybe it's someone who's single or or bedridden or they don't have a lot of family that come around. But the interesting thing is this: loneliness has nothing to do with proximity to others. I know some people that live alone who have so many friends, deep relationships with people, that they're around people all the time and have people in their corner that will fight for them. I also know some people that are surrounded by people all the time, and yet they feel alone. They feel like no one gets them. They, they feel like no one would even notice if they slipped away in the middle of the crowd. See, loneliness is not cured by more people around. Loneliness is cured by relationships of depth. Who's got your back? And whose back do you have? Today I want to look at a story from the Bible that's somewhat obscure. Not one you probably read about in Sunday school class. Maybe you've read the story, but maybe you read over it quickly. But it's an interesting story. It's a story about a man named Jonathan. And now to understand who Jonathan is, we need to just rewind just a little bit. Israel was God's chosen people. But for hundreds of years, they were enslaved in Egypt to this man named Pharaoh. And through a series of miracles, God leads his people out of slavery into this land that was called the promised land. And it's this incredible place that God settles them, a place where they can build their nation that's got all kinds of resources. And the people live there for a long time under what is called a theocracy. Now, we live in a democracy. We live in a system where we vote for our leaders. Others live in a monarchy where, where you, there's, a, there's a king or a queen. But a theocracy is different. Instead of having an elected official or a chosen king or queen, God is your leader. Theo means God. God is the one who's leading. 
And the way it worked was there were prophets. And God would speak to the prophets, and the prophets would speak to the nation on God's behalf. And the people of Israel were led by God. But then something happened. Something that happens that happens to many of us as well. They began to look around. They started comparing themselves with others. And they noticed that other nations had a king. And it was like, they have an iPhone. I want an iPhone. They have a king. I want a king. And so they demanded that they have a king. And so through a series of events, God selected a king, and that king's name was Saul. And when we meet Saul, Saul is someone who loves God and is a good and a gracious king. But near the end of his life, he kind of gets off track, and power goes to his head, as it often does in, in positions of power. And, and Saul, had, Saul had this son named Jonathan, who was going to be in line for the throne. When, when Saul passes away, Jonathan was supposed to step in and become the next king of Israel. But because Saul stopped seeking God near the end of his life, God removes the lineage from Saul and gives it to someone else, this man named David. David and Jonathan were best friends, which is interesting. But we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to look a little more at Jonathan. And there's this fascinating story in 1 Samuel 14. It says this, or let me give you a little context first. The, the people of Israel in that time, they were, they were at war with the neighboring country of Philistine. And, and Saul's king, John, Jonathan's the next in line. And the Philistines were, were known to be these, these brutal fighters that, that were just, like, ruthless. And, and the thing that we knew about Israel was they were courageous fighters. They were courageous because they knew that God had their back and would go into war with them. And that gave them this confidence that he would take care of them and, and, and have their back. But over and over, when we read through some of Israel's wars, they would go into battle with confidence. They would be all like pumped up. They would all be ready to go. And then they would see the enemy. And as soon as they saw the enemy, they would retreat in fear. And they allowed the fear to take over. And so in this situation, it's the same in 1 Samuel 14, and they're face-to-face -face with Philistine, both of them with this valley between them on two high points. And so one day, Jonathan turns to his armor-bearer, and his armor-bearer was this, this, this person who was the closest to him. He would carry his weapons for him. He would, he would take care of him. He would watch his back, whatever he needed. They, they, were, they had this incredibly close relationship. It's almost like a caddy in golf, but you literally trusted your armor-bearer with your life. They were so close. And so Jonathan says to his armor bearer in verse 1, says, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. So Jonathan says to his, his armor bearer, he says, Listen, I've got this crazy idea. I mean, our people are sitting here frozen in fear. And, and, I, and you and I know God's got our back. He's promised. And, and the, there's this Philistine outpost right across the valley. There's like 20 guys in it. I think if we scaled down into the valley, crossed over the ravine, and then climbed up, I think we could take those 20 guys out by ourselves. And so they go for it. They scale down the cliff. They cross the ravine. Then Jonathan says to his armor bearer in verse 6, he says this, Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. So Jonathan says, come on, come on. Perhaps, maybe, possibly, God will help us. I mean, he promised to be with us, and yet 
Our army sits here trembling. God doesn't need a big army. So you and I, let's go. And I don't know what the armor bearer, it doesn't say what the armor bearer is thinking, so I'm kind of like uh, guessing a little bit, but the armor bearer, he's loyal. He's so close with Jonathan. But he's probably thinking there's like, buddy, there's like 600 of us back there. But you and I are just going to climb down here, cross over this ravine and climb this steep embankment. And we're going to give the enemy high ground so that if they want to, they could just kill the two of us by throwing stuff at us. And that's what's going on in his head. But here's what he says. It's interesting what he says. He says this, do what you think is best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. See, he's like, this doesn't make sense, but I'm with you completely. It's not the plan I would have drawn up, but if I'm dying, I'm dying by your side because I'm with you completely. And so Jonathan replies in verse 8, all right then, we will cross over and let them see us. And if they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come, up, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. To which the armor bearer is thinking, huh? Man, this plan keeps getting worse. We're going to make sure they see us? That's an interesting strategy. And then if they invite us to climb up, we're going to put ourselves in a vulnerable position to attack, and that's how we know we're going to win? But verse 11 says, When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. So there's the sign that God is with them. So they, off they go. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to the, his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. Verse 13, so they climbed up using both hands and feet. This little detail sheds some light into how steep it was. You know, when you're climbing up something, if it's not that steep, you don't usually use your hands. They were trudging up that cliff. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all and their bodies were scattered all over about half an acre. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, with, the, with a faith that God is with them, killed this entire Philistine outpost. And as a result, a result, verse 15 says, suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. See, when the Philistines began to realize that God was actually with the people of Israel. They all panicked and began to turn on each other. God used two people that were so connected who said, no matter what happens, I'm with you completely. He used both of them to incredible the impossible. In the same way that the armor bearer had Jonathan's back, once again, who has your back? See, I believe that you're going to face circumstances in your life where you are facing across to the other valley and you're the other the other cliff, and you're looking at the valley below and you're frozen in fear, too afraid to cross. And you need someone who can turn to you and say, Will you come with me? I believe you're going to face challenges that where you're going to feel like you're in the valley. And the enemy is staring down at you, possibly mocking you. Who will travel with you? in the valleys that you travel through. 
I believe that there will be times where you're going to struggle to climb out of the valley that you're in. And, and, and it's going to feel like th- that something's holding you down. And you need someone who comes along and says, I'm with you completely. I've got your back. See, blessed relationships are vital. For the last part of our time today, I want to look at four filters that we need to run our relationships through if we're going to have blessed relationships. Number one, a blessed relationship will challenge your thinking. See, a good friendship or good relationship requires trust. If you don't have trust, you're in trouble. It means you have people that you've given permission to to say hard things because you know that when they say them, it comes out of care and concern, not criticism. I call it the kind of the stuff on your face type of friend. A good friend will let you know you've got something on your face. You've got some chocolate on your nose or something. They won't let you just walk around embarrassing yourself. They'll, they, they, they don't care that it's awkward to tell you or kind of slightly embarrassing to point out, hey, you got something on you. Uh, others might just let you walk around because they don't want to have that awkward conversation. You need people that will challenge your thinking, that will say the hard stuff even if it's awkward. Because they care more about you as a person than maintaining a superficial relationship. Number two, a blessed relationship will stretch you spiritually. The best relationships that you will have are the ones where people will pray for you and challenge you to put your faith and your trust in God even on the hard days. They will inspire you to have more faith and they will be on their knees beside you praying When you're struggling with something. Number three, a blessed relationship will support you completely. You need people that will say to you, no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, I'm with you completely. That doesn't mean they encourage your stupidity. It doesn't mean that they feed your addictions. What it does mean is they say, I love you, and and I'm going to have the tough conversation. I'm going to hold you accountable, but I'm not going to disappear when things get tough. You need unconditional relationships. Those that will say, I'm with you completely. See, for me, that's that's my wife. No, No matter what, I know my wife has my back. No matter what situation arises, I know that my wife will say, we'll figure it out together. You need those type of people in your corner. Number four, a blessed relationship will move you forward supernaturally. When you have the right people in your life, there's no limits to what you could do together. And when you have God's favor at your back, you can accomplish that you, you can accomplish no matter what. Uh, Jonathan couldn't accomplish God's will by himself. But with his armor bearer watching his back in God's favor, they did the impossible. Who's got your back? See, my hope for you this year is that you would invest in your relationships. I mean, if there's something that COVID has shown us is how important relationships actually are. When you suddenly can't meet with the guys at the coffee shop, you, you realize how much that actually meant. When you, when you can't have a girl's night out, when you, when you can't have a games night with another couple, you, when, you, when restrictions have stopped you from going to church and having that fellowship time or, or that potluck, you realize how important relationships actually are. So start now. 
Pick up the phone. Send a card. Send a text. Send a letter. Lay down the, re- the foundation for relationship now, even with restrictions. So when the restrictions are lifted, the relationships that you have aren't more distant. They're actually stronger and healthier. And go past the superficial. Let someone in. That's gonna, for some of you, that's going to be a risk. You've been burnt in the past before. You let somebody in and they betrayed you. You might need to do it again. You might need to let somebody in. You might need to trust someone because you never get past a superficial, uh, a superficial relationship. You never get to a relationship of depth until you do. Trust me. When it comes to being face-to-face with your own mortality, the things that matter won't be the material things. No one at your funeral is going to talk about your investments. No one's going to talk about your truck. No one's going to talk about your, your winter home. They will talk about the relationship they had with you and how blessed they were to be part of your life. Let's pray. Lord, we were not meant to be, to be alone, and, and yet many of us find us, ourselves in that situation where we, we feel lonely. And God, I pray for those that are feeling that way. I pray that you would bring people around them that, uh, that would come alongside and encourage and, and, and lift up and, and offer words of, words of life to them. God, I pray for those that in the past have been burned by trusting someone, letting someone in. I pray that you'd give them the courage to try again. I pray that you would give them the the strength to to reach out and allow people in, to go past the superficial level of friend or someone that we'd call an acquaintance. I pray that you would give them that courage today. And God, I pray that in this next coming year that we would invest deeper in our relationships. We care less about things that don't matter and care more about the things that do. Because God, we know that we all need that person in our corner. We all need to be that person in someone else's corner. Someone who's got someone's back. Someone who says, I'm with you completely no matter what happens. May may we be armor bearers for other people, but may we also have armor bearers for us. So God, May we prioritize in 2021 relationships around us. And may our relationships be blessed. Amen.